You read the Bible, Greg. You talking to me? I'm a long sample. Keep up. Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Uh, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Well, there's past. Jesus freak. I got a bad feeling about this. King Kong ain't got shit on me! Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Each and every man under my command owes me 100 natural scouts. <laughs> Start see pictures, eh? Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Film and Loathing for Sunday, November 11th, 2018. This is episode number four, and I'm Jake. I'm Chris. And I'm Zach. Coming up today, we've got a review of a Netflix original, Hold the Dark, as well as Panos Cosmatos' Mandy. Do, do you know how to pronounce his last name? Cosmatos? Cosmatos. Comatosis. 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 Panos Comatosis Mandy. Um, and we'll probably also get into some other things that we watch, but, uh, before we get started, just, uh, how you guys doing? It was kind of a brief week for us, because we just recorded on Wednesday. Yep, yep, yep. Um, not too bad. Got some new shelving for the collection. You're um, a wild man. You're a wild man. So I was setting that up today, and I'm, I'm loving it. I am Such loving it. It's such a beautiful collection. I'm jealous. Yes, yes, it is. I, too. I am not humble about it. <laughs> My collection is far superior to probably almost anyone's. Yeah, that's probably true. And some dude with a with a neck beard and long hair, never showered in the past week, right, is sitting at his house right now, just like he's so wrong. He doesn't know <laughs> anything about a good collection. That guy probably collects bodies, where that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, Zach, the question that's been on everybody's mind for the last five or six days, well, probably shorter than that, but did we get any dick pics? None. We still have nothing. God damn it. It's People. been two days. Give, give, give it some time. It's only been two days. Oh, I guess. Oh, okay, that's true. Posted it Friday. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I totally forgot that there was a couple day delay. Okay, Whew. there's still time. You send us your dicks, or you don't see ours. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is dick pic blackmail. We're not giving that shit away for free. Okay. Uh, well, the. Facebook Messenger chat has been blowing up the last couple days over these two movies. Well, more Hold the Dark. So I just don't think we should delay and just really get into this thing. That's the one you want to start with? That's the one I got to start with, man. Okay. okay. Honestly, honestly, I just want to start off depressed and then talk about Mandy and just go home happy. All right. We can, we so can I gotta, If I have to leave with the taste of Hold the Dark in my mouth. Well, that's not the taste you'll have. I just don't know. Um, okay, but let me see. So Hold the Dark is out on Netflix right now, and yeah. it's directed by Jeremy Saulnier, and it stars Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, James Badge Dale, and Riley Keough. 
And the plot synopsis is, in the grim Alaskan winter, a naturalist hunts for wolves blamed for killing a local boy, but he soon finds uh, he soon finds himself swept into a chilling mystery. So I uh, guess whoever, whoever can get there first, uh, what were your thoughts on this movie? I'm going to give it to you, Zach. No, no, no. You, you go ahead. You go ahead. I thought this movie was very low on my scale. I didn't think it was absolute dog shit. But I didn't think that it was good by any means. The main character showed one emotion that whole time. Even when he found a child's body, it was still one blank face the entire time. There was no three-dimensionality to him at all. (laughs) What? You can argue that about all characters in this film, and it is completely by design. Like, it... It fits into the tone and the mood, and if, like, you're trying to create this extremely somber piece of film, and then you have Jeffrey Wright being, oh my god, a dead body! It completely ruins what you are setting the mood for. No, but you can at least show him being shocked in a somber way, instead of him basically being like, oh, there's a dead body, and then he just runs out of the building and goes... Oh, oh, over there! And then people start to finally check it out. Like, there was no... There was no... There was no excess emotion at all besides him being like, oh, this happened. Oh, this happened. And I did not like that whatsoever. Well, we're not even five minutes in. You're already wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, sure, sure. Jake, who, who do you side with? Uh, okay, honestly. Well, Zach, okay, Zach, go ahead. Because you've been saying that this <laughs> is such a great – you love this movie. Like, I'm I do. so curious to know. Like, just lay it out for me, man. Like, why? What about okay. it? What about this film? This I saw a post on Twitter the other day that said something along the lines of like, you know, moviegoers always hate the movies that spell everything out for them, and then when something comes along that does not spell out anything for you at all, they're like, oh, what the fuck? That movie was so stupid. There's so many plot holes. That movie sucks. And that is the reaction to this movie. It does not spell out things for you, and I think that is why people hate it. Uh, personally, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Uh, I love Jeremy Saunier just in general, so I knew coming in that this would be something that would require two viewings to sort of get, so I watched it on Saturday. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Then I did some reflection, watched it again this morning, and I absolutely love it. Well, like, what do you, like, what do you love about it so much? I think that it is... Talk about it a little bit. Give me some. I think that it is tense and gripping, and I think that part of that comes from the fact Ripping. that the way Jeremy Sonia handles violence is that it is in bursts and comes almost out of nowhere, and so you know that it could come at any time, and so you're just sitting there and you're just kind of waiting for who is Alexander Skarsgård going to kill and how when is it going to happen oh these two people are just having a conversation well there is possibility that this could end in bloodshed and so you're just sitting and you're waiting for that i think that that is great um i love the cinematography i think this movie looks gorgeous and i've had issues with netflix movies in the past looking like shit and i think that you know, the vast Alaskan landscapes are captured very well. Uh, there's 
I love the way that they play with light, and because they're in Alaska, so it's dark most of the time, there are numerous scenes where the frame is almost completely black and you can barely see anything, and I love that stuff. I think the big climactic shootout was great, like, from a technical standpoint. Uh, I do have some issues with it, but I think that it's wonderful. Um, you know, I like the metaphor of the darkness and the darkness consuming us and that all of these people are afflicted by darkness and you have Jeffrey Wright's character who is trying to sort of distance himself from it, whereas you have Alexander Skarsgård and his wife who have kind of given themselves up to it. And, you know, the script is great, I think. Like, there's not a single wasted line of dialogue it all means something it all has some sort of subtext and people aren't just talking for the sake of talking like this is this is the complete opposite of a tarantino script where tarantino is in love with his dialogue and thinks that he's the greatest gift to screenwriters out there i love this approach more of like only really saying something when you absolutely have to and then you know, if you really want to go out there, it's certainly in the movie, but not as much. There is this very mystical element to it about, you know, and if you really don't want to think too deeply about it, this works just as like a very solid just werewolf movie. Interesting. I guess I have not thought of it that way. Or well, well okay, I guess I see it with the mask, but um, well, I guess I mean I don't know. That's like a cool movie that film. I was reminded of was um. It's a Norwegian movie called When Animals Dream. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like it's a non-traditional style of telling a werewolf story where, like, you know, the darkness could be the plague that is what causes them to be werewolves. And there's a scene. It's one of the very last shots. And it's like after Alexander Skarsgård and his wife are sort of walking away. And it's a male and a female wolf just sort of running in the wild. And, like, that is definitely alluding to something. But, again, I think all of this stuff I did not catch until a second viewing. So I think it's absolutely crucial to watch it more than once. Um, okay, well, the first viewing left a really bland taste in my mouth. I cannot lie. Um, I guess for starters, the entire movie, I thought it was very bland to look at. Very boring. What? Um, I agree. Now, okay, now, I totally get the whole that you're in Alaska at this time of winter and it's supposed to be dark. and da, 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 I get that. I totally understand it. But I still thought it was bland. Like there are other movies that have that feel that I thought were more interesting to look at. Like The Road, for example. I thought that – like that has its – really dark tones and dark highlights to sort of portray a mood, but I thought that one was better to look at. And then there's then there's the scene of the helicopter when they're in the helicopter and they catch that like Alaskan landscape. I did was not impressed by that shot at all. I thought it looked so boring. Like they had a great opportunity to actually show something and to me I think they wasted it. It looked bland. Hey, well, you're dealing with actual like landscapes. So, like, you really only have to work with what is there. Yeah, but, no, but I know, but, like, they did nothing to make it pop or stand out at all. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was ugly. 
Chris, you you were saying that you thought the same thing. I thought that it was, and I know that this was generally the point. And let me just first start off by saying, I don't think you should have to watch a movie twice in order to like it. That's because you are a simpleton idiot. It's not because I'm a simpleton idiot. It's just because movies that require two watchings to like the movie, I don't think are good movies. I liked it on the first viewing. I just think on the second viewing, you get so much more out of it. Getting so much more out of it, that's a different ballgame entirely. I think that you should be able to get everything to a point within that two hours or that hour 45 minutes, however long you decide to do it. Because if you decide to like, oh, hold it, man, you got to watch it two times. That's like saying, yeah, you, you, you can need to get this dish, but you need to ask for it without onions. Or like, oh, yeah, you get this pizza, but add two, two dough to it. Like, that's that's dumb. I don't think that's the same thing at all. What it's about Donnie Darko? Thing. Like, I don't think anyone in the history of the universe has ever like understood Donnie Darko on just their first time viewing of it. No, but it was like a very trippy visual experience, and it was interesting. And the character of the rabbit was super bizarre and like worth revisiting. I feel like on this, like when I first watch it, there was nothing about it that made me wanted to come back. It just left me angry. It seemed it seemed plain throughout the whole entire thing. Also, like, and I sort of feel like, I mean, the plot is all over the place. It, it really isn't though. It like, doesn't know where it wants to go. It knows like, exactly where it wants to go, and it plants the seeds early, and then you pay them off in the end. And this is that, storytelling 101. See, see, that's the thing. If you love something, you can be like, oh, yeah, it's so clear that it's going that way. But in reality, it's not. Okay, so you have this Alexander Skarsgård's character. He doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Right. Like, we see him in the army, and he comes across that woman, and he intervenes and saves her. So we think he's somewhat of a decent guy, not too affected by violence, perhaps. But then he comes back and just becomes this this murderous, rampageous person. Like, what is what kind of character switch is that? I kind of – from that, that in the army. He mows down an entire squadron of people without blinking or, like, flipping a switch at all. It is just – that is just him. But that's, yeah, that's but, not that's not just him because that other guy had no issue with it whatsoever at all. And the, uh, the other guy who was there with him, he had no issue with it. The guy was literally taking a selfie with it. He wasn't happy about it. Like uh, by Skarsgård, that's who I mean. He wasn't happy that he mowed them down, but he wasn't like sad. He showed no emotion. Like he was just a killing machine meant to kill. And also like those first two scenes, you kind of get the sense that – Okay, like these people were in the wrong, so yeah, he had no problem taking them out. When he comes back to Alaska and just goes on this rampage, like they're he, they're just random. Like there's the 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 police that are trying to help him, uh, gone. Um, then he just keeps going on to all these different people, and I don't know, I just don't buy that. Every single person who helps him, he just kills. I mean, I think they plant the seeds that, you know, in in regards to the police. That this has happened before and the police have done nothing. And so why would he trust them? Why would he expect them to do anything this time? This has happened before. And, you know, like they said, he came that one time and then never came back again. So, like, I understand the police part. Okay, I mean, like, but, like, I could see, like, okay, I'm going to take this on my own. Um, Screw you guys. But to put fucking bullets in their face, like, that, that seems like a very extreme character swing. 
I, okay. But, like, so he's clearly, like, some sort of sociopath, right? It's alluding to that. And I feel like, you know, you take a movie like Natural Born Killers, like, no one's ever like, well, I just don't understand why they were killing those people. Like, because that's who yeah, they that, are. Like, that is what yeah. that is what he is. I don't know. But, like, when you when the movie opens up, you get Jeffrey Wright and, you know, they have this, this whole little thing about the wolves and whatnot and him doing research. It, it seems like they're really setting the grounds into this sort of viable world that we could go along with. And then you throw Alexander Skarsgård character in there. And he seems so over the top from what they spent the first half an hour establishing. It just doesn't work for me. It just like really goes – it really gets away and goes out from like where this little place that they established was. And I know I couldn't buy it. Um, I also was not a fan of that stupid wolf mask. I and, loved it. And them trying to be Halloween. I liked like, how simple it was. I'm not going to lie about the wolf mask. I like how simple it was. The, the, the wolf mask, I liked it a lot. I liked costuming, like, just in general. Like, all the, the bundled up stuff that they used to, uh, like, I thought all that stuff looked really good. And, like, I mean, it ties into sort of, like, the mystical aspect to this movie where, you know, the guy literally says to him, you need to let some of that wolf out. And so that's that's what he's doing. So the thing about the mystical thing is that I feel like they try to allude to it, but they do it so – like they kind of like tiptoe with it to the point that it's kind of just like, okay, either go for it or don't. Just that it seemed with the whole mystical thing. Like they, they introduce it and they try to do something with it, but then at the same time they don't do anything with it. Like they open up these points and then do nothing with it. I think they so, do they do just enough. I don't know. It just seems like if you're going to introduce it, go with it. Like why – again, because they spent this whole time trying to, to to build you into this world, and now all of a sudden they're going to vaguely hint that there's mysticism, but then try not to act like there's mysticism. Like it just doesn't make any sense. I think – like, like why introduce it at all? It, it's just sort of – you know, it's just it's trying to make this film not completely just grounded in the real world, I guess. It's saying that, you know, yes, this could be this is a place that exists, this is things that people actually have to deal with, but I'm not gonna tell you this straightforward story. I'm gonna add these elements to it and I'm going to do something else with it. And I mean, I I love those aspects to the movie. Like, this movie very much is marketed as a thriller. Like, okay, we're going to go hunt down this wolf. Wasn't thrilled take, about it at all. And, like, this is not, it's not what you get. So I understand, like, being disappointed about it on the first time viewing. But watching it again, knowing fully what it is, all of those beats work ten times more. Because you... You're not expecting something out of it. You already know what you're getting. Then why not why not market it as what it is instead of something different? Okay, you can't blame the filmmaker for that or even the film. Like he has no control over how this movie is marketed. He doesn't get to cut his own trailer. Netflix is doing that for him. It's not his fault. 
I'm not saying it's his fault. What I'm saying is, is that even even if why, why start it off going in a certain direction and then take it in a completely different direction, knowing full well what's going to happen. I don't think it's it diverges from that direction so early on that I think it's completely fine. Like it's not like you get an hour and fifteen minutes in and then it's like okay, well now we're going to start going else. It's literally twenty five minutes. It switches and starts to be about what it inevitably becomes. So I don't think that that's crazy idea too far into the movie to switch something. I'm not saying it's too far into the movie to switch something. What I'm saying is, is that why even have that at all? Like, I, I just, I guess I'm just saying I don't understand the point and just starting off that way just to do something else. Well, you need to draw Jeffrey Wright's character in. You need to and get I, him there. And that's what they do. And I felt and then, like there were more clever ways to get him there besides just being like, I need you to hunt down a wolf. Well, he's spent much time with them. He's somewhat of a wolf expert. So oh, I feel how, would, how would you get him there? What would you do? I feel like you could have had, like, involved the police sooner, and you could have had him bring him in to add a certain third dimension to them that wasn't there in the beginning, and you could have had them bring him in as a wolf expert to try and draw the wolves away from their town. Okay, but how would you... And, and, and then the kid involved, goes missing. They think, they think and, that this is a wolf attack. Yeah. But, like, okay, why would the police bring in this guy from God knows where when there's probably tons of wolf experts in Alaska? Because this guy is the wolf expert. It was He's never built that way. You're putting that on him. Exactly. That's, That's what I'm saying point. is that you can build him that way. Why? Be, for a reason to bring him in. I feel like it adds – I feel like it makes it more consistent. No, it doesn't because – See, I have okay. no pro- okay. I have no problem with the way that he was brought in because it makes it out like she was. She's a big fan of his. She was reading his books. So that's why she personally called him in. She I have needs no problem. someone to tell her story, and so it would make no sense for the police to call him in. It has to be her. Yeah, but when, and I have she, no but when her kid goes missing, but when it's her kid that goes missing, the most recent, you don't think that he's gonna try and focus on that area first, her area. That's a reason to draw him closer towards her. How they get in there is perfectly fine. I felt it could have been handled better. I don't know. I don't have any problem with that. The problem I have is is they build this all up, and then they get that you get that little dialogue with the old woman where she's like, oh, she's got that uh, wolf thing in it, whatever it is. And then she it's kind of like – Wolf spirit or something? Yeah, but it's kind of like, okay, so where – is this like – are we in mystic, like mystic land now? But then it never really brings it up until later. I think that this goes back to nothing is said that doesn't mean something, and everything said could also mean something else. And so it's laying – you're saying that this mystic thing comes out of nowhere, but it's clearly been laying the groundwork all the way through. No, it hasn't, though. It, it literally doesn't start until that one woman says something. But that one woman says that 20 minutes in. Yeah, but then they don't touch on it again until later is what I'm saying. So she says that, and then he so comes gets, back, so gets and, he finds the, and he finds the dead kid. Then the police have a conversation about, well, if you ask the people around here, she's possessed by a wolf spirit. Okay, so there they're bringing it up again. Okay. And then from there, Alexander Skarsgård comes home, and he has a conversation with that woman where she says that he has evil within him. And he should have died out in the sands, but it was never going to be that way. So then there's that. And then he goes, 
and he meets with the man, and the man tells him, well, I've seen you before. Are, are you cured now? And then it's 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 all there. It's all there. This is why I'm saying you need to watch it again. I guess. It just seems so subtle that, I don't know, like, I feel like it misses the point. If it's so subtle, you need all these viewings to see it. Which is well, why I think that you should, it's dumb to have to watch something twice in order to enjoy the story. It's subtle in the point of, like, if you don't catch it, the movie still works without it. It makes sense, but it doesn't work. But no, the, but that's the thing. The movie doesn't make sense without it because you have all these because you have all these plot points that don't lead anywhere. So it doesn't make any sense. Like with so if you don't if so if you miss these subtle things, there's only like the obvious ones that are like in your face. So there's that comment. Then there's not really any. So okay, I'll give you the one where it talks about the locals. But then the next thing that comes up is. Um, uh oh shit i just had it um if you if you choose not to read that into the movie the movie still works like these are just subtle things that are said where if you're not if you're not reading into it then they're just throwaway lines but hold on the next thing that it comes up is when he marks that box but then nothing even comes of that until like way later yeah that's fine but like there's nothing in between like so after that i feel like there's nothing after that because it leads to Jeffrey Wright sort of chit-chatting with the police a little bit, and now they're starting to look for Alex Skarsgård and that other guy. Then there's that that random-ass shootout scene that takes up a big chunk of the film. I like the shootout. I mean, the shootout scene is fine, but it's like it seemed kind of out of place, don't you think? I thought so the first time that I watched it. I didn't really understand why it was in there i guess i still don't fully understand the character's like motivations other than he really doesn't like police but i think i don't know it could just be more of like uh we need to get he needs alexander skarsgård needs to have time to catch up with his wife that is on the run so what can i do well i'm gonna do this gonna mow down the whole police force i guess I don't know. It just seemed like so. I, I was like, I liked it. It was entertaining to watch, but it was on top of like, okay, I've literally seen nothing out of this film that I like. I guess I'll go with this shootout because at least it's interesting. And it's also like back to this metaphor of the darkness. After his daughter was taken, he obviously has succumbed to the darkness, and like, this is what that does to you. Yeah, I don't I know, man. Guess if, I guess if you want to reach there. It's not reaching. Like, how is that reaching? I mean, it applies, but it's not like it's not like a blatantly hinted at thing. Okay, but like nothing in this movie is blatantly hinted at. That's what I'm saying, though. Is that's why I didn't like it? Because I I felt I felt like like Jake said, everything was too subtle. Oh God forbid! It forces you to watch a movie and fucking pay attention. If well, it forces the, you to watch it twice, to pay attention fully with your full investment, two watches in a okay. row, that when, does when, not make for a good movie. When you watched this movie, did you sit down and did you watch all two hours and five minutes without diverging your eyes from the screen once? No, because it was boring to look at. Okay, so that's on you. You can't put that on the movie. Okay. Okay. I will admit there were brief moments where you looked away. But – that doesn't mean I didn't get the general picture. 
I can I can honestly say I was paying attention, um, and yeah, I, I missed a lot of that stuff. That, if that stuff's in there, it's so subtle, or it, it feels like a throwaway line. And I think that's what my problem is. I feel like a good script, it would like nail it. Like it, it, you would, you would pick it up. I mean, you don't understand it necessarily, but you pick it up. I think, I think that this is nearly a perfect script. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. So you're saying it's going to get nominated for an Oscar is essentially what you're saying. The Oscars are fucking bullshit. I don't care if it gets nominated for an Oscar. Okay. Well, or do you think it's going to get any recognition at all? Absolutely not. And that is a tragedy. All right. Because you know what it is, dude? You know what's going to get fucking recognized, right? A movie like fucking Bohemian Rhapsody is going to get nominated for best song or whatever, best fucking adapted screenplay. And then this movie that is wholly original and that the director tries to do something that others don't is just going to get completely thrown by the wayside. Like that, that is the true tragedy here. Love it or hate the movie, like that is totally your opinion. And you're entitled to it, and that's fine. Like, it doesn't bother me that you dislike it. But, like, at least he is attempting to do something original. Yeah, I can't fault him there. I think my fault is that, in my opinion, I think he missed. And that's that's fine. But, like, I – so I loved it. But even if I did it, I, I applaud the attempt to do something that we're not going to see come out of a big studio. No. He's brave for doing it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, Zach, because you're my brother and I love you, maybe I'll try to watch it again to understand. But on that first viewing, it left a very, very bad taste in my mouth. I was fuming after I finished it. I think that this is the best Netflix movie. Like Maybe. I think that this is better, better than... Better than the Firewood than... story? I think it's better than that. It's better than Beast of No Nation. What about like, was that like that Mudbound? What, Chris? Wasn't there a movie called Mudbound on Netflix that was pretty good? Uh, I don't care for it, but oh, people that think it's pretty sn- good. That was a snooze fest. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. That was more appalling than this film. Can I? Okay, so this I will. This is just a very brief spoiler question. We don't have to get into it deeply. Did you two catch that they are brother and sister? No, but yes, I read yes, about I it. I did catch it because they make a comment about their mother, right? Or father? Yeah, she says, I don't have a single memory without him. And then their Nordic heritage is referenced multiple times and the fact that they look exactly alike. The one, yeah. that, that, the one that gave it away for me was thinking back on it and she says, I don't have a single memory without him. Yeah, no, I did pick up on that. I don't know, maybe watching it again with the whole werewolf vision, perhaps that would make for an interesting viewing experience. I just, I don't, I think that that stuff is there, but I think that it more is just trying to get at this metaphor of the darkness and these characters that have fully given themselves to it and then a character that is trying to get away from it. And so... You have that scene with Jeffrey Wright talking to James Badgedale and his wife, and this is where you sort of learn that he is also suffering from the quote-unquote the darkness, and he has a child that he has basically neglected. 
and he is trying to get away from that lifestyle. And I think, and you kind of think that the mother is too at the beginning, and you you still can kind of view it that way because she kills her kid because she's trying to save him from this life. But it's also, I don't know, I just I think there's a lot there that needs to be properly digested before you can give an honest opinion of the movie. Maybe. Uh, I will say right now, this is in my top five of the year, so. Really? Yeah. I think a lot of movies that have come out this year have been good, not great, and I think that this is one of the truly excellent ones. Interesting. You're a single bear. this This is boring, but, like, all of that footage of the wolves... Like come come on like that stuff is so beautiful. It oh yeah, make me excited. Yeah, that that was that looked good. I'll give you that one. Chris, I'm sorry that Adam Sandler wasn't in this movie. He didn't Listen, talk about cock and balls. It doesn't need to be Adam Sandler talking about cock and balls. All right, all I'm saying is that I didn't. As long as someone is talking about cock and balls. Yeah, that's what matters. Listen, um, I just didn't think that it was an appealing movie to me. Because would you agree that you don't typically pick up on subtle things in movies? It all depends. I mean, it all depends on how subtle we're talking. Would you also agree that you hate independent cinema and you only like Transformers? That's not true at all. I appreciate Transformers for what it is, but um, I don't hate independent movies. Sounds like you do. Just because I'm saying I don't like this one, I hate independent. I movies. think you're. I think you're about to say that you don't like Mandy either, and that's where the basis of this statement comes from. Well, then let's get to Mandy and let's find <laughs> out then. Uh, we can get on. Uh, do you guys have anything else to say about Hold the Dark? Um, I love it. Watch it. Don't listen to these fucking idiots. Well, so no, I was gonna make a point that this. So this movie is clearly divided, and. I was doing some mild scouring on the internet while we were waiting for Chris. And even on the internet, it's divided. A bunch of sites you look on, there's there's ratings that are all across the board. So if you're one of the few listeners that are listening to this and you guys check this movie out, uh, email us and let us know what you think because we'd love to get some different opinions on this This because clearly this is a very divisive film. So email us at filmandloathing at gmail.com, and that's and, A-N-D. And um, your email will be read only if you agree with me. So, <laughs> um, But let's uh, – I guess we'll move on. Let's, uh, but first, let's give it some star ratings. Uh, Zach, what are you going to give it? Come on. This is, this is a five. This is a hard five. The first five on here. Oh, yeah, that's not true. No. Well, true. maybe it is for me. Did of you give recent Halloween, movies. Did you give Halloween John Carpenter's a five? Yeah, but that's not like a... You gave it a both five. Out of 2018 releases. Oh, okay, I got you, I got first you. First five we've reviewed. I got you. Uh, Chris? I give it a two and a half. You I me. am also going to give it a two and a half. You disgust me. And that's the beautiful thing about a film. We love what we love, and sometimes Zach loves shit. So what can you say? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. How about this, Zach? I'll give it a hard two and a half. The real tragedy here is that this this bad boy is not anywhere close to coming out on 4K. So I don't won't get to watch those cool scenes 
I'm sorry, Zach. Um, but shall we kick this party off to Mandy, the one that we all really want to talk about? Let's do it. I'm in. Okay. So Mandy is directed uh. by Panos Cosmatos. Bless you. Um, it stars Nicolas Cage, Andrea Riseborough, and Linus Roach. <laughs> uh, and the plot synopsis is, The Shadow Mountains in 1983, Red and Mandy lead a loving and peaceful existence. But when their pine-scented haven is savagely destroyed, Red is catapulted into a phantasmagoric journey filled with bloody vengeance and laced with fire. So, Chris, start us off. What did you think of Mandy? I thought Mandy was... It was it was on the upper side of good. What does that I, mean? Like like you Let's know how the man finish. Okay, like like you know how they're gonna be like, eh, it was good, but I thought it was like good, like you know like the inflection of my voice. Can you see the difference there? Good. Like it was good. Like I I liked I liked Mandy. Um, I think mostly I'm just tired of seeing Nicolas Cage play a crazy man. See. I think it's much it's very toned down Nicolas Cage. And I think that if he had done his outrageous performances that he's given in the past it would have completely ruined the movie. I think this is like a tamer Nick Cage who just happens to be grieving and is full of rage. Yeah, but you got to admit he did go kind of insane there. Well, you would do if your just, girlfriend was lit on fire right in front of you. Oh, yeah. for sure. I'm not saying I'm not saying it wouldn't. And 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 the thing is, is that I thought the movie was beautiful. I thought it looked gorgeous. I thought the use of not just red and blue was was absolutely amazing. But I like how they only used vibrant, in-your-face colors the entire time. I thought the effects to give you an eerie creepy kind of like off-putting vibe throughout the entire time was great and it kind of felt like they used the color red kind of like how they use certain songs in opera like to to signal certain people are coming to signal certain vibes are coming to signal that something is about to punch you in the fucking face whether you want it to or not this is here and this is what's gonna happen so Absolutely stunning with how they used colors throughout this entire fucking movie. It's it's a it's amazing. This I gave high praise to Hold the Dark and said it was in my top five. <clears throat> but this this is my number one. This is not gonna change. This is the greatest film of 2018 and is probably within the top five films of the last ten years. This movie is spectacular. And I agree with Chris is saying about like the colors. I love that none of the lighting is like super crisp. It's all kind of like milky and it just sort of is sitting on the screen. Feels blended. Yes. Um I love I love the score, you know, the haziness, the lens flares. This it's all it's all there's nothing about this movie that I dislike. I, and I, it's almost like there comes a point in time where the, the film starts to turn and it's like, so you have an hour of just like, this is their relationship and that stuff. I don't think Nick Cage is the greatest in those moments, but he's still good. And I love that hour. And then 
all hell breaks loose, and then Nick Cage <clears throat> becomes Nick Cage, and it is some of the most inventive and bloodiest sort of violence I've ever seen depicted on screen, and I think that it's amazing. Like, you get the sense from just the opening, the opening fucking scene that you are in the hands of a true master who has a complete vision of this movie and he doesn't compromise it for anyone. And he just, you either have to decide if you're going to take this ride or if you're out. And I took the ride and I absolutely love it. When I first watched this film back in early October, when I got done watching, my first thought was, what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) And I knew that I loved it, but I didn't know why I loved it. And then I sat down today to watch it, and it was perfect. Zach, let me set the scene for you. It's a nice snowy day here in Boulder. Cold out. All I want to do is snuggle up with my nice Mandy movie. I got my homemade cheetah print shorts on. I'm comfy. I'm cozy. I pop this thing in. And right from the opening little score... With that little panorama of the treetops, I just kicked back and I went for the ride. I love this movie so much. On the second time around, I loved it even more uh, than the first time I watched it. Um, um, so yeah, this time around, I loved it more than I liked it the first time. Um, I really like Nick Nicholas Cage and Andrea Riseborough in this film together. Um, you're kind of right, Zach, that the, the sort of lovey moments between them are kind of awkward, like when they're discussing their favorite planets. It's, that stuff is so cringy. It's kind of like, but at the same time, I kind of like it because it's like these people aren't those to express their love through words. Like they seem sort of like a physical couple, and that's why Nick Cage wields the greatest act we've ever seen in a film and fucks these people up. Everything about this movie was over the top, so why not the lovey-dovey scenes, too? I think Nicolas Cage is getting, like, a lot of praise for this role, as he should. But I think Linus Roach is, by far, like, the best performance of the movie. And it's, like, my favorite performance of the year so far. Yeah, he's great. The first time when I watched it, um, I definitely liked him, but it wasn't anything I was going to, you know, go brag about. Uh, but on this rewatch, I liked him a lot. Like I was, li- I was paying more attention to sort of the lines he was delivering and how he delivered them, and he was great. He played that cult leader perfectly. I concur. Would I you concur. Agree, Chris? Would you agree, Chris? I think I'd agree with that. <laughs> kind of one of those. I'm also a very big fan of the score. Um, it's kind of got. See, okay, so. Johan Johansson's last score. I know. Rest in peace, guy. Um, so coming off watching Suspiria in the last week, this film definitely draws some inspiration for Suspiria, from Suspiria. You guys need to get on that and watch it. Um, just the use of the red and the blues uh, matches a lot. And then sort of that weird score, even I would say is loosely inspired by the score from Suspiria. I mean, I think it's been on record that this score was inspired by, like, Norwegian death metal. So maybe and, they both are. 
And I think that's what Suspiria is. It's done by this prog rock group called uh, Goblin, I think. Speaking of Goblin. Cheddar Goblin! The Cheddar Goblin thing is amazing. And I love... What is up with that? Do you have any theories about that? Not really. I think it's just... There's a lot of stuff in this movie that you have to just accept that you're never going to get answers as to what it means or why it's there. Like, yeah. some of it is just, it's just there because it's there. Like, and I am one of those people that is fine with that. I'm fine with not understanding everything, not knowing everything about something that I watch. But if you are not one of those people, then this movie is really going to bug you. I don't know. I didn't. I think, I think Panos this guy has like such a clear vision. I think everything does mean something like on this second time around watching it, just, just looking at the shot that he chooses and the way he chooses to shoot Mandy's face and the colors that he uses. Like, I think there's the, I think everything is meticulously laid out. And that, that's probably true. But what I mean is like, it's probably in there for a reason, but you are never going to know what that reason is. Okay. We might not know. I so this is the second time I watched it and I noticed something this time that I hadn't before. And did you it's not clearly stated, but do you get the impression that she has run into this cult before? I think she was part of the cult at some point. So when she's telling that story about her quote unquote dad, you think she's talking about Jeremiah Sand? I don't think she's talking about Jeremiah maybe she is because he I has don't... that line where he says I recognize you, you'll recognize me in time. But I think he's too young to be her dad. Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like, I feel like, because she said she was there with, like, a crew of people, and I feel like... Well, I mean, daddy has now become a term of endearment, so maybe she didn't mean her technical dad. And I think he's still too old to be anything, but I think maybe they were all part of the cult, and he just went through the cult and became their leader. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's a connection, because... I mean, there's so many things in this movie that that now that I notice it, it goes out of its way to draw attention to it. I, I don't think I don't think he became this cult's leader. He definitely he definitely created this cult. This was this was a master of his own doing because every single person in that cult wasn't just following him because he was the leader of the cult. Everybody was following him for him. That's why everybody did everything that he said. And it was ecstatic about it. Everybody wanted his favorability was just because this cult was his thing. He's convinced these people that he literally can have whatever he wants. Maybe. But it's like, the first time that he sees her, he seems like, it seems like this is the first time he's ever seen her. Then there's references that they might know each other. And it seems like her left pupil is always dilated, similar to how these cult leaders' pupils are dilated when they're taking the LSD. Yeah. I only got that vibe from him, though. The I didn't pupils? Think I, yeah, no, not him, not the pupils. But anyways, I felt that he was the only one who recognized her and that these people were... Um, they had no idea who she was, which is exactly why I felt this was a cult of his creation. Well, I think... They certainly follow him because they think that he is in touch with a greater being. They don't necessarily care about him. They care about this greater being, and this is how they stay connected to it. But yeah, and there's, can... nothing, but there's, no, and there's nothing to suggest 
either way that this cult already wasn't around and that there could have been you know some leader before him but they no longer maybe they died maybe they no longer thought that that guy was the one and they thought that this jeremiah sands guy is now the one so they're the one that he's following and he took it his own way like there's nothing to suggest that him and mandy weren't part of some cult community when they were younger i guess so i guess so I don't know. I think there's definitely a lot of interesting ties. Like for like the one I noticed on this time, I mean maybe I'm maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but she tells the whole starlet the story about the starlings being beaten in the bag, and then she herself is put into a bag later. Yeah. But then I mean there there is literally a scene where their faces come together as one. Yeah, that yeah. was kind of creepy like, as shit. And that is such an amazing shot. That was a so cool. I love that entire sequence. The entire sequence is amazing. Yeah, oh, that's probably the, my favorite part of the entire movie. Aside from that, Nick Cage freaking out in his underwear. And drink, <laughs> chugging the vodka. Which, yeah. what? He keeps it in his bathroom? That's, that, that right there is probably the greatest moment in cinematic history ever. I mean, I feel like they definitely were kind of making a loose attempt to show that he had a drinking problem or some shit like that. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? Because in the beginning, he denied that drink from the guy in the helicopter. Yeah. You and, then he, that, and then who keeps vodka under the sink in a bathroom? Only alcoholics do that. Yeah, I think I, that might be his relapse bottle. I think that he just watched his the love of his life be burned in front of him. And so that is just the natural reaction. Yeah, but you asked who keeps it in their bathroom. We're saying an alcoholic would keep it in their bathroom. I think it, maybe it's rubbing alcohol. I don't think so. I think it's vodka. <laughs> he uses it to sterilize all of his wounds. Um, oh, and another thing that I thought was great was the actual abduction scene where they had sort of that strobe lighting. I do like that. Yeah. I think that's great. I, I love the look of those uh, sort of demonic uh, like bikers, whatever you want to call them. The black skulls. Yeah, those are so cool. I I love that you never can fully get a look at them in the film. There's like a couple that you sort of see, but then other, but the rest of the times are always sort of clouded in this mystique. I felt like I was at a misfit show. Yeah, maybe right. you were. <laughs> well, very well could have fucking been. I think that this movie is getting sort of a rap of being style over substance. I don't think that's entirely fair because I do think there is a lot of substance here there is a lot you can dive into and really look at like it is certainly exploring the male ego and like the poisonous sort of atmosphere that that creates when you are so caught up in ego and pride and like just like he the guy like linus Roach literally says he has given everything to me. I can have whatever I want. And it's exploring just sort of that idea and like how dangerous that is and what happens when we want something that you can't have and how that affects you. So it's it's definitely there's definitely substance. It's not just style, but the style aspect is amazing. Is that is that your own interpretation or is that like something that you read or saw somewhere? I mean, I think it's very clearly in there. Yeah, I would agree with you. I could see it. 
I just, I guess, I guess I'm looking at it too plainly. Like, I, but I think it's, I don't think it's the main thing that it's getting at, but I think it is in there. I think when you ever talk about revenge, is you could ask the question, is that even the need to get revenge, is that an ego thing? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, so while I don't think it's the main theme, I think it just having that in there a little bit does sort of go along with what else they're talking about. I think it goes nicely hand in hand. Um, but what I but I I agree that on the first watching, it's so out there. If this is not the movie that you're used to, it's so out there that it's hard not to get wrapped up in the in the red and the flashing and the color changes and all these visual things that he's doing that I think you lose track of what the story is. But on the second time, I was more prepared. I knew exactly what I was going to get. So I could go, I could go along with the visuals and then sort of take in the story. And yeah, you're right. There is a lot more in there than you, I think you realize the first time you watch it. But I think, but I think what I like about this more than hold the dark is that for me, it was not visually interesting so I ha- so I wasn't even along for the ride. Whereas the first time I watched Mandy, I was very confused, did not really know what was going on, um, but enjoyed the ride enough that it got me through the two hours. And now revisiting it, I love it. I love it even more than the first time I watched it. I am guess I'm going to have to give it a second watch. Yeah, I, th- I still think that you could watch this 25 times and still be discovering things about it and like what different different visuals and how they connect and things like that like you know she that scene where she's having like a dream like sequence and she's walking through the woods and she finds a dead baby deer like what does all that mean i feel like you watch that or was it even, was it a dream i i feel like it's alluding to the fact that it was why what makes you say that Pretty sure she's sleeping in the scene before it. Okay, it could be. I don't know. I guess I didn't see. I didn't see, interpret it as a dream, but I could see. I guess I could see it. I'm almost but, certain she was sleeping, like the second before that happens. It very well could have been. I don't remember. Um, but yeah. Anything else, Chris? You got anything else to add? No, not really. Yeah, so so this was it's good. What is preventing you from saying that this is great? It's just I'm tired of seeing Nick Cage play crazy man. Again, that's that's on you. That's not the film's fault. And I'm not blaming it on the film. Yes, you are. You're saying it's good, not great. Yes, from my own personal experience. The Whatever. the way it, it took it took away from my enjoyment of the film. So, but I don't think he even acts that crazy compared to some films. I know it's just I'm just it's like anytime I see Nick Cage go crazy now I'm just like oh Nick Cage going crazy again great. But it's completely warranted. It's not like he's I'm going not saying crazy it's not. in like The Wicker Man. I'm not I'm not saying it's not warranted. I'm just saying I've seen it so many times. But we've never seen it like this. This is different. This is different, but it's still Nick Cage going crazy, so it takes me a little bit out of it. So whenever you watch a movie, you consider that actor's entire career as to whether or not you like it? 
No, I consider what they've done. And I guess, yeah. No, I do consider their whole career. Why? It's hard for me to separate that. So you watch Goodwill Hunting, and you do you dislike that movie now because Ben Affleck was in Batman vs Superman and Justice League, and those no. aren't great movies, but. You know, you're kind of tired of seeing Ben Affleck in bad movies, so you don't really like Goodwill Hunting as much anymore. No, I still love Goodwill Hunting a lot, but that's just because I saw Goodwill Hunting before those movies. Still part of his career. It's still part of his career, but I think of I think of uh, what I've seen, um, of my life, what I've seen earlier is what I base it off of. I'm, just, I'm not like I'm not this saying is a ludicrous system. Um, it's not a system. It's not a system. It's just my reaction. Well, it's completely ridiculous. Oh, it definitely is. I'm not going to deny that whatsoever. It takes <laughs> me out of the movie, and I hate that. But <laughs> but that's just the way she goes. Well, do you guys have anything else to say? Should we give this thing some star ratings? Um, I got nothing else. I'm tapped. I love it. What else can I say? I love it. Yeah, yeah. This was in my top ten, Zach. I will say it was it was an honorable mention at first. Then I thought about it some more. It was in a top ten, and now that I've reflected on it even further, the second watch, I think it's gone up into a top five. This is not number one. It's not number one for me, but I don't know. There's still a lot of movies that I saw earlier in the year that I need to rewatch before I can really say anything definitively. As of right now, what is your number one? Hereditary. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I really enjoyed that movie. I think Hereditary is fine, but this is miles beyond Hereditary. Hold the Dark is miles beyond Hereditary. They're just they're just very different. It's in my top five. I mean, why isn't that good enough for you? It's not good enough. I mean, I, this is this is Zach's top five for the past ten years. Well, this no, is the same top, man that's putting hold the five in his top five, so. Oh, yes. If your top five is different than mine, you're wrong. Your opinion means nothing to me. If you disagree with me at all, you're an idiot. <laughs> is that oh, simple? shit. Chris, what are you giving this out of five stars? Out of five stars, I'm going to give this a soft four and a half. Woo! That is way higher than I thought you were gonna give it. Yeah, that that is not. It's good. I would not give something no, that. No, no, I didn't. I didn't say. I didn't say it was good. I said it was good. Like I said, it was good. You know. Oh, okay. You did just say the same word twice. Okay. But it has different inflection. That's the whole he point. It. He did inflect it that way the first time he did it. Yeah. Okay. It has different inflection, so I'm gonna give it a soft four and a half. Okay, Zach. Oh, this is the best film of 2018, so however you want to equate that in numbers. Yeah, I guess since we don't really have anything, I'm, it's, it's it's a 6 out of 5 for me. It's a 6 out of 5 when it's not even your number one movie of the year. Correct. Got you there. How does that even work? So that, so that means... It's different. That means it works that, on different things. That means that the four movies ahead of it also are 6 out of 5 or higher? Yeah, 10 out of 5, 9 out of 5, 8 out of 5, 7 out of 5, <laughs> all the way down. At this point, you're just 
You're just handing these things out left and right. You're higher than five ratings. Doesn't even mean nothing. It goes it, just because <laughs> you can rate something out of the year. I didn't say where it was in my top. The end say where it was in my top five. It could be number two. I'm sorry. This this if it's number two, then that's just a slap in the face. Or it's number can, three. It could be no. That's probably number two. It's probably number two right now. You can you can rate it out. You can rate have a rating system out of the year and have it that's not just, translate to overtime. But that's for November 11th at 6:30 Mountain Standard Time. Like when I go to rewatch all these films that are in my top 10 honorable mention at the end of the year, and we do our list, my opinion on Hereditary could very easily change. I could think of it totally different, and compared to Mandy, it's just it's not number one anymore. And 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 this is a preference preface for the future of anybody listening to this podcast. My uh, my top five at the end of the year is going to be very slim and compared to theirs because I've just got back into the swing of the thing, swing of movies recently. Okay, so I I have to do some readjusting for mine, but so Mandy's number one. I mean, Hereditary is probably in the top fifteen, but it's it's not in the top ten. It's certainly not number one. I'm gonna have to bump out. Won't you be my neighbor? So that I can fit Hold the Dark in there. And then, yeah, so I think right now it goes about Mandy, First Reformed, Hold the Dark, You Were Never Really Here, and then Won't You Be My Neighbor. Exactly, and I, I gotta watch, I gotta rewatch First Reformed, because there were some things that didn't quite click with me when I first watched it. I've, I've hence listened to interviews with Paul Schrader and listened to a bunch of podcasts over it and there's a bunch of things that i missed so i need to go rewatch it and there's a good chance that that movie is gonna be like crazy for me probably gonna be another fucking six out of five let's just hand them out did you make a movie in 2018 here's a six out of five good job no 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 we're not that whimsical with the six out of fives here's your participation trophy no 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 <laughs> Oh fuck me! Fucking All right. Trophies. Well, uh, let's get on then to some other things that we watched this week. Um, I guess. Well, before we do that, I wanted to ask you guys: Are you guys House of Cards fans? No. Uh, have only seen the first season and some episodes. Have I hate seen- TV in general. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for the new season? Mm, yes, I have. Barf. Oh my god. That is so insulting. Like that show when it started out, that was an excellent show. But I saw now Kevin they Spacey have destroyed out with a it. Yeah, they had like the, the the plot they started with was so interesting and now they've modeled these last two seasons to just reflect our current political state. Yeah, okay, bullshit. So That's bullshit. What is going on? Amy is watching right now, so I've caught glimpses of it and I've seen that they break the fourth wall so I Already, I'm out. Why that don't started, you like breaking the fourth wall? It's so fucking cheap. It is the lamest play to like. I'm going to convey exactly what I want without having to be creative about it. What, 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 what do you mean by that? I mean, it's just it's just a a, a helping hand in getting the story along better. Right, because you can't think of any other way to do it. It may not be that they can't think of any other way to do it. It's just an easier way to get the point across. And you feel that you feel that's cheap? Yeah, I don't need to be spoon fed 
plot points. Like just let the show. Plenty of shows have handled complex subject matter without breaking the fourth wall. Like it is such a lazy technique. It has been proven time and time again that it's completely unnecessary. Like I think if you break the fourth wall, you assume that your audience is an idiot. And then if that's if that's who you're making your TV show for, then go fuck yourself. So shows should only be made for smart people? No, I'm saying you should not assume your audience is an idiot. You should assume your audience can pick up on things. I disagree. I mean, yeah, there are definitely scenes in this in the show where he's like makes a business deal and he like looks into the camera and he's like, I actually meant the opposite of that. And you're like, okay, obviously Kevin Spacey, you're a piece of fucking shit. I know that your character didn't know, didn't make that negotiation. Um, Wait, so in the new season, anyways. isn't his wife president? Yeah, she's president and she's basically Donald Trump. Does do people not understand how the political system works? Do you not understand how many people would have to be assassinated for the first lady to become president? No, she's not. She's the VP. Oh, I, I don't like it. I'm out. No, well, I just don't like because, like, in the previous season, they made Frank Underwood become president by, like, voter fraud or whatever. So there's, like, a mishap in the election. So he gets elected. Vomit. And then in this new one, like, Claire Underwood is literally just playing a Donald Trump character. Barf. Like, oh my Jesus Christ. I don't think that if you want to kick Kevin Spacey out for diddling boys, then just just call it quits. (laughs) You don't need to make a new show, like a new season, and just be like, oh, we can continue without Kevin Spacey. I feel the same about Roseanne. I love Roseanne. And I don't feel that I need a show basically about Roseanne without her. Like, just, 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 you're just it's, done. It's, you're done. It's different because the, the show was called Roseanne. Right. So obviously they didn't call the show President Underwood. But yeah. it's very clear so, that the no. show does not survive without him. I have no problem with them doing one last season to wrap it up and, like, taking this arc. But the way that they chose to do it is disgusting. Like, it's so cheap. And, like, I don't know. I haven't. I guess I need to look and see if the writers are all the same. But I don't know. It just seems like such a cop-out where you, you spend four seasons doing all this original content. And now you're just trying to reflect the pol- current political state. I don't know. It just seems cheap. seems gross. And done poorly, I might add. I think if you want to watch a good show that deals with politics, then just watch Veep. Because it's funny. Yeah, I've heard that is an excellent show. What? You actually think something is funny? I think Veep is funny. We can talk about a movie that I watched that I thought was funny. Well, so one of these days, I'm actually going to provide a movie for a topic that is a comedy. So, you know, be ready for that. I'm ready to tell you how funny it isn't. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, bet, I, bet, I bet you are. I bet you are. Well, so you guys want to uh, move on then to what we watched this week? Yeah. Kind of a pretty short week for me. I only got a, I only got a few things to talk about, but if you guys got something, uh, start us off. I have been catching up on – I have a list of movies I need to see from 2018 before I feel comfortable – making my top 10 list for the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So I've been kind of just checking those off this week. I got to a couple of them. Uh, the first one that I watched is 
called Thunder Road, directed by Jim Cummings. Uh, it's about Jim Cummings stars in the movie as well, and he's a police officer, and sort of just like he has a mental breakdown after the death of his mother, and this just just kind of follows him for 90 minutes, and just kind of looks at his life after this happens. And I will say that he gives probably my f- the best performance of the year so far that I've seen. There are two scenes in this movie where you can tell that he is like acting his heart out. There, the emotions like are so real and genuine, and like there are two scenes that just gave me goosebumps to watch. One of them is in the trailer, and even watching the trailer, it gave me goosebumps. But in the actual movie, it's a bit more extended, and it's just really good. Like this is, this is no one's probably going to be better than this this year. But like we were talking about earlier, this movie isn't seeing any sort of Oscar contention, but yet it's probably ten times better than whoever they're going to nominate. Um, plus the music is great, and the final titles like song for the credits is a violin cover of Skinny Love, and it's great. It's amazing. Intrigued. Can you put that in the Dropbox? Because I actually want to watch that. Yeah, I'll put it in there. Um, I like Jim Cummings a lot. He is really inspirational to Sky. Like this, Thunder Road was based off a short that they then developed into a feature. And he is all about kind of just make write movies that you can make right now and don't expect anyone to give you money to make them. Just make them, regardless of anything. And this is sort of what he made. I think it won... Sundance? South by Southwest? Something like that. It won a pretty big festival as best film there. It is, it's very good. Um, I think I would give like a four out of five. There are some things that I'm not crazy about. And just, it literally just has to do with like some of, some of the production value is not there because they clearly just didn't have the money for it. And that stuff is fine. Like that stuff is easy to overlook. Um, and like as sad and touching as this movie is and deals with grief and deals with this idea that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel these things and to show that you are feeling things like it, there are like some truly funny moments in it, like similar to mid nineties. Like I did actually like, laugh out loud during these parts. It wasn't just a chuckle. Like it is, it is pretty comedic too. And I think that that breaks up the seriousness very well. And yeah, I think it's just, it's just really good. Um, I would recommend it. Awesome. Chris, you got anything? Well, I, uh, I've i only seen one movie this week because I was mostly watching Game of Thrones. But uh, the movie I watched this week was Beautiful Boy, directed by Felix von Groeningen. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think you nailed it. Yeah, I was pretty close. Uh, starring Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Is that, Did is you that how cry? You... Yeah, Timothy Chalamet. Sounds okay. No tears were shed. Um, I personally felt the movie was too long. I felt they covered they covered the topic of drug addiction very, very well. And they kind of kept you hooked throughout the entire thing. Um, Steve Carell did not give a 
super, super, super good performance. He he had he had one scene in the movie that I I thought was really really nice. And but was it uh, at, was it at least super super good? It was. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it was good. It, it was good. Okay. You know. It wasn't good, uh, but it was oh, good. Oh, there's there's the inflection. Yeah, you see, you got to pick up on these things. I'm mostly a very vocal man. But um so so man just just to get this clear. So Mandy was good and this one was was good. It wasn't it wasn't just it was good. It was it was good. You That's know, our new rating system, just different inflections on the word good. <laughs> well, I'm saying like do, do you do you hear the difference there? It was it was, it was good. It, it was, was good. good. It was good. <laughs> see, you see now that that's probably like a six out of five right there. It was, it was fucking good. It was, it was good. Is that a six out of five? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. That's 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 probably a ten. But anyways, um, Steve Carell didn't really blow me away. Timothy Chalamet did a fantastic job, and there were individual shots in the movie that really kind of really captured my eye throughout. Um. It's not really a funny movie, so you're not supposed to laugh at it, but there was definitely a couple parts that made me laugh just because, um, you know, like I said earlier, I think of their past work, and I thought of Steve Carell as, uh, you know, Michael from The Office, especially since <laughs> that, that girl who played Holly was in the movie, too. So, uh, seeing I'm glad them- you clarified, because I was assuming the movie about the meth head was going to be pretty funny. Well, no, it's just you know how like some some movies have like comedic effect and stuff. I just didn't get that. But um, it was just weird seeing Steve Carell and um, sorry, what the fuck was her name? Uh, Oakley Bull. Is that her name? The the girl, the Holly. You yeah. saw the movie. I know. Oh. I, I have a hard time. I do okay. not think that's her name. And I think her name is Oakley from Jungle Book. <laughs> fuck no, that's a little kid. Um. Is there any point in the movie where Steve Carell is sad that he's losing his son and he's listening to that James Blunt song that he listens to in the office? No, that's the thing. Is that all? That's all I could think of the whole time. Um, my lover. No, but, but, but my friend. Generally speaking, it was a good movie. Um, if I had to rate it, I'm gonna give it a soft four. I think like, I want to. I want. I don't want to see this movie, but at the same time, I do. Like, I, I have to check it out. But at the same time, it just looks like Oscar Beatty bullshit. And, like, it just seems like the drama in the movie is going to be so, like, hyped up and overplayed. I mean, I, it kind of felt like they were going for a similar vibe from, like, Manchester by the Sea. Kind of. Yeah. But it just didn't feel as well put together i guess like i I feel like this movie could have been about 20 minutes 15 20 minutes shorter and it still would have put the same point across it still could have made would have made you feel the same exact way question how how subtly were the themes laid out in this movie oh my gosh you can fuck off (laughs) i'm just trying i'm just trying to draw some parallels here that's all There, all. there, there was no subtleness in this at all everything that happens just fucking happens Interesting. So the non-subtle movies get four stars. The subtle ones get two and a half. Just, just make this was okay. First off, this was one subtle movie, and secondly, I feel if if you're gonna tell a story that that that's 
pretty self-explanatory considering this is based on a true story. You need to have point A, point B, point C, point D. If you throw a bunch of weird themes and odd NNs in the movie, it just kind of takes away from the fact that it's a true story. So it's Foxcatcher. There's some weird things in there. Also stars Steve Carell. Yeah, but you know the whole star of that movie is the nose. That's true. So, well, yeah. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, so that movie and Boy Erased, like, I don't know what it is about them. Like, the subject matter is interesting to me. The cast is interesting to me. Like, that that's enough to get me to watch it. But it just... It doesn't look like any of the emotion like is going to be genuine. It's all just going to be melodrama to get nominations somewhere. Yeah, I, Boy Erase definitely feels that way, which is too bad to say because of the subject matter, but sadly it's true. I don't know. Yeah. All I right, let's hear it. Let's hear I don't about know. Let's hear about Suspiria. Is that what you want me to talk about? I assume that's all you got. Uh, and I got a, I got a couple others, but um, I did go see Suspiria by Luca Guadagnino, and uh, I loved it. I certainly didn't I didn't quite understand some of it this first time around. I'm definitely gonna have to go see it again to pick up on some things. Um, oh, didn't understand it two and a half then I guess. That's not that's not true at all. You're fucking um, dude. <laughs> I know this guy's on a mission. Um, it's so it, it it has the same similar story, like structure of the first one, but instead of it being like a mystery where like the the ending is so again in Suspiria it's in the original it's building up to something as kind of like this twist thing. I won't spoil it for you guys, but in this new one they embrace it and just incorporate it into the story. So it made for. Um, so it, it definitely made for a more interesting viewing experience. Uh, Tilda Swinton is very good in the film. Um, she plays uh, like one of the dance professors. Um, I'm not a big Dakota Johnson fan per se, but I loved her in this movie. She was excellent. Better than um, Fifty Shades of Grey? Much better than Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, I'm not even that. I don't think that's possible, dude. I didn't think it was either until I saw this movie. Um, Just a uh, some- quick. Quick question, asking for a friend. Is there any nudity in this movie? Uh, and 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 if there is. Uh, yes, yes there is. Yes there is. And okay. uh but it's grotesque it's grotesque nudity. I wouldn't want any other kind. <laughs> what uh at, at what point in the movie is there nudity cuz you know it's at the go- very end. Okay, so I can skip all the rest is what you're saying. Yeah, just jump right to the last 20 minutes it's going to make no fucking sense. And you're gonna be just gonna be along for the ride. But there's and you'll give it a two and a half. So, um, but uh, let me see. Yeah, so there's this, so there's some really cool stuff that they incorporated into this, where they sort of they sort of had this thing where dance is sort of this magic thing that makes the acts out things. So there's this great scene in it where Dakota Johnson is dancing and she's like trying to prove herself to get the lead role in this part and it counters that with showing that there's this girl that's getting tormented by her dance i don't want to i don't want to say too much because you just need to see it i don't want to spoil anything um 
but it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. I think the two hour, 20 minute runtime is a bit much. Um, but there were a couple times when I was getting a little antsy, but I don't know. I loved it. it I would give it a four and a half out of five. Ooh. Wait, not, this, this is not a six? No, it's not a six. It's, um, like there's some, there's some minor things with it. Um, but it's a four and a half out of five right now. I saw four and a half out of five with the potential to go up on a rewatch. Interesting. I think, I think there is a half star wiggle room in there. That could be, there's some, because I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about some interesting things that I would like to go back and focus on more in a second viewing. Okay, just out of curiosity from you guys, because I want to know what you guys think. How many watches of a movie do you have to go through in order to give it a full, honest, um, thorough rating? Very much depends on the movie. Yeah, that's what I just, would say. Just generally speaking across the board. I think generally, I feel, as long as I was paying attention, then I feel like one watch is usually good for most movies. But I do think that there is a select 20%, say, that do re- that require the second viewing before you can start to give an opinion on it or yeah. formulate any ideas about it. Yeah, do I definitely you- think there are some movies where on the first viewing you can get enough out of it, and that second viewing is either going to like confirm it or it's going to offer you a different perspective, a little bit of a different perspective, but I don't think it's going to change that much. I feel like if the movie's doing a good job, you shouldn't have two polar reactions when you watch it. For example, I I bought Passengers on 4K today, and I got about halfway through and I realized that I'd already seen it, and then... I will say that I really only needed one viewing of that movie to formulate an opinion of it. Uh, it looks great in 4K. I love the first half, but the second half is kind of sucks. That's it. Only took one viewing to get that. Okay. okay but something and, like a movie and, like Hold the Dark needs to be seen twice. And is there a certain <laughs> criteria that has to be met for you to give it a second watch? Um certain criteria like what do you like mean? as in like um does it have to be at least like on the first viewing of three and does it have to cover certain subject matter in a certain way that type of stuff no i'll rewatch movies that i hated on the first time um i mainly rewatch movies that i hate hoping that i was wrong and i'll end up oh. liking them and then i think the only criteria would be there has to be something about it that would make me want to revisit it. Like, there has to be something that I either, like, okay, like, I didn't quite get this, so I need to rewatch it and see if I missed something. Or there's some interesting ideas that I think are at play. I need to watch it again to make sure that, you know, I'm actually right about these things. Stuff like that. I will say, like, the reason I hold Mandy and hold the dark in such high regard as you just listened to is that i watched them and i immediately knew as soon as the end credits started to roll i immediately knew there was things in there that i wanted to revisit and that i wanted to see again and i think that if you can watch a movie once and be done with it it's probably not great okay and and when do you feel like enough is enough 
when is it enough rewatches? Um, yeah, that kind of depends on the movie as well. Like, I feel, I, know, I feel like two, maybe three, but I still don't know if there's any movie that's that's so complicated that you can't get everything after the second viewing. Not that you can't get everything, but that there's still more to digest. Yeah. Like, sure, I certainly, okay. I certainly understand everything, like, plot-wise and story-wise about Mandy, and I certainly don't have any questions about any of that stuff. But there, I still want to watch it again. There are still things that I want to narrow down and, like, really pinpoint and focus on. That's another thing, like... Uh, sometimes I rewatch movies with certain things in mind. And, like, I feel like on a first-time viewing, you are just kind of getting a sense of the characters. You're just kind of getting a sense of the story. You're just trying to follow what is happening, and then you kind of don't get to focus on other things as much. So, like, on a second or third viewing, I really like to focus on, like, okay, well, what is the score like in this movie? Or, like, is there is the direction any good? Like, what is the sound like? Those are things, I think, that I focus on when I rewatch things. Okay. Yeah, but to give like your honest opinion, I feel like only you need two. Like, I feel like, yeah, you can brood with things, but it will only like slightly change. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I, I think, think that's something. Two, so with like, uh, like within inception, for example, like I could watch it twice and like basically piece together everything. Maybe a third time clarifies a few things like visual things. But I feel like I could easily give you my honest opinion of it, and then just from watching it, it might clarify things more and make it better in my mind. But it's not like it's going to be so drastic that's really going to change your opinion of it. Like, I feel like a movie that we reviewed last week, like, mid-90s, right? I don't need to rush out to see that again. Like, I think I pretty much got everything that that movie has to offer in that one viewing and then I I do feel the same way about A Star is Born, but I think, like I said, on that second viewing, I really got to focus on, okay, well, they're laying the groundwork for this big emotional ending. Like, does that work? What are they What are they laying down, and how early do they start laying it out? So it's less so, like, the second and third viewings, if you watch it, are less about the actual watching of the movie and figuring out what's going to happen and more about focusing on the technical aspects and how things work and how they fit and that type of stuff. So we're so uh, really the second and third watch are the important ones. Yep. So the second watch after the second watch, I feel fine watching a movie with commentary. Cause I feel like I have, I've probably gotten everything. So like after I watched the witch for the second time, that third viewing I watched with the commentary just cause like, I think I got everything and I just want to hear I just want to see the visuals, and I just want to hear the director tell me about this movie. Okay. That's all the questions I have. Yeah. Uh, Chris, anything else for you besides The Beautiful Boy? Uh, besides Game of Thrones, no. I mean, I'm only on season uh, probably halfway through season three. Uh, okay. I've seen I've seen all the way through season three. It's just I haven't watched it in so long that I need to rewatch the second half of it to continue on to season four. I gotcha. Anything for you? I, I have a few things. Um, I watched The Miseducation of Cameron Post, directed by Desiree Ackhaven, which is about takes place in 1993. 
and Chloe Grace Moretz stars as a teenage lesbian, and her parents discover her as lesbian, and they send her off to a camp to correct said behavior. And it is a Jesus camp. Mm. And the movie... What Jesus freaks. Yeah, basically. The movie has potential. Like, I'll say that. Like, I think Chloe Grace Moretz is good. Um, but it's just like, it's so bland. It's so surface level. Everything that this movie touches on is just... It's just like, it's it doesn't dig deep at all. And like, it doesn't... What I really, what I wanted out of this movie was I wanted to see something poignant, something that was going to scar me forever, something that was going to correct this gay behavior that makes you go like, oh, what the, what the fuck? Why am I watching this? There's none of that. Nothing. And it's just like, there doesn't seem to be any stakes at all. It doesn't seem that like anything is going to happen to these people if they don't so-called correct their behavior. Worth che- worth checking out? Kind of let it sl- slip by? I mean... If you want to watch it, go ahead. Are there any, like, redeeming qualities about it? Yeah, I think Chloe Grace Moretz is good. I think there there's flashback sequences of her and the girl that she is lesbian with. And, like, that stuff works. That stuff works really well. I don't think you even need this Jesus camp. I think you just have... If you just set the movie in a time where gay people are not as accepted as they are today, and then you have this relationship, and then the super religious parents, that creates all the drama and all the conflict that you really need. And this camp just sort of, it's a good idea, but they don't do anything with it. Like, they have the headmistress, or head headmaster, and like she's obviously very rude and very mean, and like she's the one that's supposed to be bringing the hammer down. But she never does anything that's really scary or intimidating. Like, I don't know. There's supposedly a movie with Jeff Goldblum coming out where he's a um, someone that does lobotomies. And it's just like, that's the stuff that I want to see in these movies. Jeff Goldblum doing lobotomies? Like, there are, there are people that have, like, actual, that have suffered real trauma from who they are as people that like I feel like this movie does them a disservice like there are people that have actually gone through electroshock therapy because they were gay and like they have experienced real things whereas this movie just it it's almost it seems like it's trying not to offend anyone so it doesn't do anything too graphic or too extreme it seems like it is deliberately playing it safe cowards that's what I'm saying like, have you seen the movies called Solo or 120 Days of Sodom? No, I have not. I've heard about it. No, sir. That that movie is fucked. Oh, I've like, heard you, that. Yeah. You watch it, and you're just like, oh, my God, dude. Like, why am I watching this? It's similar with, like, Cries and Whispers, too. Like, like I'm not saying that this movie has to have, you know, female genital cutting, but, like... Ooh. Even still, like you could you could do something that is a bit extreme, and when something does happen, 
it doesn't even happen to the main character. It happens to someone that you spend no time with at all. So there's no real emotional effect to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The movie's not bad. It's just it's offensively safe. Interesting. Huh. Well, uh, I really only got one other thing to talk about. I watched Monty Python's Life of Brian. I never seen. I'd never seen it before, so wanted to check it out. I'm really. I'm a big fan of the Holy Grail. I think the movie is hilarious. I always laugh every time I watch it. Um, it's definitely pretty funny. It's it's it has its funny moments for sure. Um. I love the costume design. It looks great. I love – there's the little opening bait where it's the three wise men coming in and come to find out it's not Jesus. It's Brian. <laughs> and that they – and then they're – they leave and they leave the mother with all the gifts. And then a couple seconds later, they come back in and grab it because they realize they went to the wrong manger. So they take it to Jesus actually. <laughs> so there's like – there's all these, these – these scenes that are definitely pretty funny. Um, but I, I don't know. I still think I still think the Holy Grail is funnier. The hard one to beat. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. And like I feel like the the Holy Grail like keeps you engaged the entire film, and there's definitely some lulls in this one. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I still think it's like if you if you like the Holy Grail, I would definitely say watch Life of Brian if you haven't seen it. I have not seen it. There's I do only, like the Holy Grail. There's only yeah. a couple of comedy movies I'd put above above the Holy Grail. Happy Gilmore? No, but it's up there. Funny people? Dude, that one's sad. Yeah, what are you talking is about? A comedy. Yeah, but okay, still, let's, I wouldn't let's put it in my top ten. Because I watched I watched Private Life, which is a Netflix movie. Directed by Tamara Jenkins, starring Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. And it's about this couple in their mid-40s that sort of put their career first and are now trying to have a baby. And they're finding it to be extremely difficult. And it's good. Like, it is the types of movies that I feel like Judd Apatow should be making. What's the name of it? Private Life. Ah, okay. Like, I feel like Judd Apatow should be making these kinds of movies as he gets older. But he's just... He has way too much nepotism, and, like, his daughter and Leslie Mann could not possibly, like, do what happens in this movie. Like, they couldn't even take it on. Like, Catherine Hahn is really good, and Paul Giamatti is very good. And, like, yeah, it's sad because this, is, this couple can't have a baby. Like, this is also the type of things that, like, I think are funny. Like, this is this is a movie that I consider to be funny. And it's not... It's real nice, Zach. It's because, like, it's like <laughs> the jokes are genuine. <laughs> I laugh at your fertility. But like, you know what I mean? Like, the, the jokes are genuine. They come out of genuine conversation. It just comes, like, it's not trying to be a joke every 10 seconds so that you're constantly laughing. Like, the jokes are just well-rooted and strategically placed to relieve whatever sadness you might be feeling for these people and like i did get the feeling of like a judd at like this is 40 like it, i feel like it kind of feels like that where it's like okay we're in our 40s now and now we're finally starting to deal 
with what adulthood means and what it is like. And I would recommend it. I didn't love it, but I think it's very, very good. And I would take this over, like, Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison any day of the week. You're going to have a hard time having a baby. Ha ha! Very funny joke. Okay, but, like, there's, there's a scene, for example, where uh, they're talking, there's, there are adoption people coming to their house, and they have a painting on the wall of, like, it's very graphically a naked woman, and she has, like, some bush and whatnot. And so her and Paul Giamatti are talking, and they're like, well, should we should we take this down? Like, and they're arguing about it, and Catherine Hahn isn't wearing any pants. And, like, it just, it just feels very genuine. It just feels like this is something that could happen. And it's not trying too hard to be funny. It's just finding humor within that scenario if that makes sense. So basically, you only find the realistic funny. Yes. Like, All I right. still think, I think Anchorman is funny, but I, I don't know. Like I, I like Anchorman. Like, I don't hate those types of movies. I definitely just don't value them that highly. Yeah, I think those movies are a little worn for me. Like, I definitely do not find Billy Madison funny anymore. I don't find Happy Gilmore funny anymore. I really don't find Anchorman funny anymore. The only one that I've seen a lot and still find hilarious is The Big Lebowski. Even that, though, is not the same kind of humor as those movies. I guess that's true. But that's the only one where, like, it seems like it's a comedy, and it's, and I, I haven't gotten tired of it yet. All the All other right. ones are more now. Ch- chime in, Chris. You are the comedy expert. I know, we're just going to have to save this for a whole other episode. We'll have to do a comedy episode or something. We're going to have to. Really open up a can of worms. Uh, anything else you guys watched this week? Or are we tapped? I'm tapped. Uh, I watched 8th Grade. I don't know if oh. either of you have seen that. Yeah, I, I watched that, that when good. It, watched it when it first came out. What would you think? Uh, I liked it. I didn't love it. Like I said, like this this is the year of the movie that's it's it's pretty good, but like it's not great. It's good. It's, it's, my big takeaway was my big takeaway from that movie was God, I'm so glad I'm not in eighth grade anymore. Yeah, like I think this is one of the first coming of age movies to really deal with cell phones and to deal with social media presence. And I really like all that stuff. Because it's something that kids now have to be extremely conscious of and that what you put out there is out there forever. But, like, in terms of, like, a coming-of-age story, I really don't feel that it does anything differently than a lot of other ones. Did you find yourself? But I think even tackling the, like, the whole, like, phones and social media thing, it's, like, just takes that average story and puts that in there. Because I kind of feel like that is what today is like. And I feel like everything that that girl experienced didn't really seem that far-fetched. Well, like something that 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 unrealistic that a young girl wouldn't go through. No, definitely not. And I think the aspect that I really like is like kids now are trying to grow up to like almost too quickly. And I feel like even I was a part of that. That like, well, I can't wait to be older. Like I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like I can't wait. And like I just wanted to grow up too quickly. And I think this movie does a really good job of showing what happens when you try to grow up too quickly. 
and it puts this girl in like really like uncomfortable situations because of how she's trying to portray herself as being mature and older and whatnot. And then you just kind of get to see the downfall of that. Yeah. Let me pose a question. If, if a coming of age film, like from this, from this point forward after eighth post eighth grade era, if you don't sort of somewhat tackle the cell phone slash social media issue, do you think that you've sort of failed? Do you think that's ingenuine? To sort of not include it and try to romanticize this coming of age story when that's not the society we live in anymore. Well, so are you? So coming of age no. story obviously that has to take place in modern times because mid nineties is a coming of age story. Okay, okay, I guess that's true. If you said it in modern times. No, I don't think you need to tackle the issue of cell phones and all that jazz. You don't think it's like romanticizing it to not include it, to pretend that there's these kids that roam around and don't participate in that? I feel I feel that if it was if it was focused on the the people who were just having cell phones come out, then yes, because that was a big thing that was everybody was focused on. And I feel like if you're making a movie that's a coming of age movie now, you're not making it for the people who are just being introduced to cell phones. You're making it for the people who have grown up with cell phones, who who have just it's been a part of their everyday life since they've been young. So to not really make a point to acknowledge it super hard is kind of just what sh- it just should just be normal, you know. I feel incorporate it, but don't make it such a big deal. But I feel like for the age of someone in a coming-of-age tale, it is, like, a very big thing. Like, the presence of the internet is such a huge thing for kids growing up. Exactly. And, and like, that, so if you, don't, if you don't tackle it, you're doing yourself a disservice because it automatically doesn't feel genuine because you're not, you're not tackling what kids spend 60% of their time doing. Right, so, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying don't keep it in there at all. I'm just saying don't make it a big issue. Don't make it something that has a huge effect on the story unless something happens that involves the internet. Like yeah, we have cell phones. Yeah, people talk to one another, but unless like somebody posts a dick pic online, send us your dick pics. Unless somebody posts a <laughs> dick pic online, um it shouldn't you shouldn't focus on the internet as much. I don't know. I feel like what is what is happening is that directors are finding trying to come up with ways so that they don't have to tackle it. Like Jonah Hill setting his in the mid nineties. Or even last year, like with Ladybird, that movie was set in two thousand and one. So like obviously they didn't have to deal with cell phones. And like I just feel like that is Instead of trying to tackle it, that is what is going to happen. Is that they're just they're going to try to find ways to avoid it. Just so ignore they can, it. They can only do that for so long, though. Like, um, it's like it's like if somebody took a naked like if somebody took a naked picture and somebody else got a hold of it. And you know, like back in the old '90s, instead of instead of like having it just being on the internet, they would have printed out thousands of pictures and they would have hung it up all over the walls in the in the fucking school. So like you people, think that these kids don't just, have access to the internet, but they just have access to printers and can print off whatever they want? No, that's 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 what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying is that that's you what they did. You have to be it. distributing Polaroid pictures. 
new no. Polaroids. That's what I'm saying, though, is they can't do that forever. So instead of going the extra mile to make it so to, to, to go to the extra mile to avoid the topic, just treat it like it's a normal part of everyday life. Yeah, you, I think the problem that you run into is that you're going to you're going to try to get around the issue, but you're going to get what's going to happen is you're going to start moving down the road. And what's going to happen is you're going to try to set a coming of age story in the 80s or the 90s, and it's no longer going to relate to anyone. So I feel like at some point you're going to have to just take it head on. I think after eighth grade, if you don't if you don't deal with it somehow, you're doing yourself a disservice because this film does it very, very well. Yeah. And so if you don't, if you decide not to tackle it, I feel like you automatically have put yourself in a category where, OK, yeah, your film is good, but it's not as good as this film because it decides to tackle that subject matter and does it in a very believable, realistic way, whereas you just ignored it altogether. Yeah. Like you've already, you've out of the gate have already made your film a second tier. Yeah. And I guess this kind of relates back to Jonah Hill when he was saying that he liked the idea of doing this movie in the nineties because there was no cell phones and he kind of makes it seem like this life was much better and whatnot. I, Uh, I still think you can do it without cell phones in present day like the florida project those people are far too poor and far too young to even have cell phones so like there's your way right there even even if you're focusing on a a pastime without cell phones you have to have a purpose for why you're putting it in that time like the time period has to play a role in the movie itself why does ladybird take place in 2001 I'm not I'm not saying that there's any purpose to that. I'm just saying going forward, if you're going to make a, a, a coming of age story based in a, a past time, you have to at least have a purpose for it being put in that time. I think aside from just trying to avoid the issue of the mass flood of cell phones in our young culture. Exactly. Exactly. There there needs to be a reason behind it being in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or even the fucking 1600s. We don't know what kids, the issues kids were going through back there. Besides, Yeah, that. they were again possessed by Black Phillip. <laughs> I think the real question here is in a post-boyhood world, why make coming-of-age films at all? Like... Like they that he clearly found the way to do it. Film these kids for fifteen years, and there you go. Yeah, that's certainly like the the extreme way to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of just I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I I guess I don't particularly care of about the standard coming of age story. Like I've already come of age, so I feel I like think it's, yeah. There's no struggle I'm going through, or that least relates to that. I like coming-of-age movies. I just feel... I feel like, you know, since it is so populated, that genre, that you have to really do something to set yourself apart. You need, you know, like an eighth grade that deals with technology for kind of like the first time that a coming-of-age film has done it and done it so truthfully. Or you need to be like boyhood and you really need to capture you need to physically capture growing up over the span of 15 like you need something that isn't like 
Okay, well, why would I even watch that? I saw those three other coming-of-age movies that came out last year. They're probably the same shit. Yeah, it kind of just feels like at this point, like, if you just keep trying to make these films that, like, avoid those issues, it kind of just seems like you're just stuck in that time period. You romanticize it. You wish you could just be there, so that's where you just want to take place in your movies, which I guess I get to a degree, but I don't know. I think at some time, at some point those movies are just not going to have the same appeal anymore if you keep continuing to do that. I think they will always have their place because, you know, we may be done coming of age. It'll always have its its place, but if they just keep tackling it in the same way that they're doing it and always just setting it in the 90s, well, we're going to get into the 20s now. And then you're going to get to the 2030s. Like, you're still gonna tr- are you still going to try to set things in the early 2000s and the 90s so that you can no. just live in this romantic time period? Because the future filmmakers at that point would eventually adapt to the situation that they were raised up in, and they would find a clever way of attacking the situation. Because it's, a, it's unavoidable. The people who weren't raised in a cell phone generation just don't know how to attack a coming-of-age story in a cell phone generation. Okay. I feel like moving forward, right, the people that grew up with cell phones will now start to be making movies. So it will be it'll be in their movies and it will just be like a very natural thing that just kind of is there. Like obviously like Bo Burnham is you know, old enough where he probably didn't grow up with a cell phone. And he's just incorporating it, whereas for, you know, me or someone a little younger than me, if I were to make something, it would just kind of be there because that's just, that's all these people, we and them, that's all they know. Like, they only know a world that's full of cell phones. I don't know. Interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess, well, I guess we'll see what happens. Do you, I guess, uh, or do you know of any other coming-of-age stories that are coming out this year yeah anything else or anything that's sort of that that's the main thing so we had the we had midnight we had skate castle skate kitchen oh sorry yeah skate kitchen um Um, it's gotta be something yeah i don't know i can't think of anything out of my head let's look at what's coming out yeah, no, I don't know. Interesting stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, we're Creed one. two. That's not I, a coming of age movie. That dude's fucking thirty. I know. Uh, but I guess we're getting ready to wrap it up here. Uh, anything on your guys' radar for this week that you want to check out or in the next couple weeks? More uh, Game of Thrones, baby. More Game of Thrones, baby. I want to see Creed two. That comes out on Friday. I want to see Creed 2. I want to see Overlord. Yeah, I've heard about this? interesting things about that. I have no idea looks, what Overlord is. It's uh, I think it's based in World War II, Zach. Is that right? Yes. These guys go behind Nazi lines to try to rescue some people, and they end up in sort of like this factory warehouse or I guess whatever it is. And they find that they've been doing, like, experiments on people. I think they're turning people into zombies. Oh. All right. I'll watch that. Yeah, no, it seems interesting. 
I still did not watch what I said last week, so that's still on my radar. What did you say last week? The Other Side of the Wind, the Orson Welles movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few documentaries on Netflix right now that I think are worth checking out. Um, one is called Shrinkers, which I don't know what it's about, but I know it's worth checking out. Uh, one is the one about the guy that gave up his whole career to sort of be Stanley Kubrick's right-hand man. Yeah, that's been on my. That's one I want to check out. That's fucking cool. And it's then film worker. Yeah, and then there's they'll love me when I'm dead, which is um it's a documentary about the making of the other side of the wind, directed by the same guy who did Won't You Be My Neighbor. So I I think it's gonna be good. Yeah, I missed the check out that Orson Welles one. I don't really know anything about it. I'm basically just going to go in blind and see what happens. Yeah, I have high hopes for it. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. All right, well, guys, you got anything else here? Uh, you guys should probably watch Hold the Dark again. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> probably not. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, come back next week. I think we got another double review. We're going to be doing the new Coen Brothers film, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And we'll also be reviewing Don't Worry, He Won't Get Too Far on Foot. Something like so, that. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hold on. Hold on. we got to acknowledge the fact that we're going to have a guest on our show. We have nailed down the guest. It is for sure. We don't have, yeah. to, we don't have to announce it. We'll just let them introduce himself on the show next week well it's too late he's already announced it cat's out of the bag what no you can just cut it from where i say goodbye <laughs> yeah i could but i'm not gonna oh fuck you <laughs> who's our the... guest chris and we're still going with this yeah, all right people who it is our guest is a gentleman named andrew clark who from what i have heard knows his shit Interesting. Well, the true test will be, we'll get him on, and I'll ask him if he's seen Hold the Dark. Oh my fucking If he gosh. likes it. I swear to fuck, Zach. Are you are you guys gonna feel stupid if he says he loved it? If he says he loves it, then oh he's, shit, it's, here we go. If he says he loves it, at that point it's two v two, so it'll be a fair fight. Sorry, you guys cut out. What were you talking about? Uh, I'm gonna ask the guests next week if they loved Hold the Dark. Okay, can we? Are you sure he's even seen it? No, this will be the new litmus test for the show. I see. Oh, fucking gosh. Okay, but I know right there, if he says that he didn't like it, then his reviews, I'm not gonna listen to. I don't care. I see. So you don't listen to our reviews? You don't care about our, our reviews? No. What's well, alright? We Zach doesn't need to approve of it. Just the listener. Thanks, yeah, mom. Like... Thanks, grandma. <laughs> you don't need to send us your dicks <laughs> okay and now now can we sign off sure all right whatever come you back want next week. come back next week or don't goodbye please do